Welcome to Life in the Cloud, the official podcast of Tuple Technologies. Join us each week to hear from experts in cloud migration and IT management as we talk about the latest technologies and trends in cloud and other exciting new developments in tech. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Life in the Cloud. I'm your host, Chris Reddy, and today I am joined by Greg Sikorifis. Greg is the head of shopping experience at a very new fashion e-commerce company called The Yes. Uh, today we're gonna we're gonna hear from Greg about his experiences, about the company The Yes, and what's going on at the company. So, Greg, thanks for being here. The first question I want to get us started with is uh, tell us about yourself. What's your background, and how did you become the head of shopping experience at The Yes? Well, thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me on. A little bit about myself: I've been in the tech industry for a little over ten years now. Started at Google after school, and my reason for joining there was really to sharpen my teeth on how to build great software and learn how to scale business. And while I was doing a little bit more of the software and the business scaling right out of school, I did get to see a lot of the great practices they had there. At some point along the journey there, I decided I wanted to get a little bit more experience in a smaller endeavor, look at something a little bit earlier in its lifespan. So I joined Pinterest and was there doing advertising after having done a little bit of that at Google and some other projects at Google. But at Pinterest, I focused on the advertising exclusively and really focused on the growth of the company and growing teams, picking up some management experience there. And then at some point I realized, you know, I was ready to really go off and do something unique and something that was a little bit more early stage venture, take a little bit of a plunge and try uh, my hand at a startup. So here I am at the Yes. Very cool. So tell me about the Yes. When were you guys founded? What exactly does the company do? Sure. So the Yes was created for a couple of reasons, but but primarily to reduce some of the overwhelm that exists in shopping today to help make it a more dynamic and interesting experience. Something that I think is a little lacking in a lot of retail and experiences today online. The ability to receive results that are personalized to you. So you could think about two women, for example, who go to a site, they search for a cocktail dress and they're both getting the same list of dresses. It's static content or they're getting information. They're getting products that are related to the season that are just kind of for anyone. But we think we can do better and save people time and the hassle of having to scroll through things that aren't really relevant to them. And also help them get a little bit more in touch with their style through inspiration, understanding their preferences, feeling like there's somebody out there who's connecting with them on that stylistic level. So that's why we created the Yes. Okay. So it seems like a much more uh, personalized shopping experience, a more enjoyable shopping experience, so to say. And and this is uh, e-commerce and fashion only. Wouldn't that same model be applicable in a lot of other e-commerce platforms? So we're not the only e-commerce retailer in the fashion space, for sure. Is your question about personalization in the space or applying personalization outside of fashion? Applying personalization outside of fashion. But actually, I, I do want to ask about the personalization you guys do. So actually, let's start with that and then uh, sure. see if we can go from there. Tell me about what does that, that more personalized experience look like? How do you guys create a more personalized shopping experience? Sure. So it starts with the style quiz that we take, but it also goes throughout the product. So the customer is offered to take a quiz. They can tell us about brands that they like, 
styles that they like that can say things they would never wear. They put in information about their body, sizes that they tend to wear. And then from there, we kind of have an understanding of where to initially begin the recommendations we make. But throughout the product, the customer is able to select yes or no for any product that they see. And we kind of think about that like you can say like liking a product or using an analogy of Spotify, you know, hitting the heart icon next to a track that you really like or thumbing down a product that you don't. So we're listening to the user throughout the shopping experience and then in real time adjusting the products that we show based on those inputs. I see. So how does that work from a technical standpoint? What sort of uh, softwares and architectures are involved in from the technical side of achieving all of this? Sure. So it's primarily a machine learning AI system. We obviously work on performance in real time learning as much as we can. So we're taking these events from the user and putting them into our ML systems. And those feed directly into models that we keep about the customer and the models are pulled in real time as we're retrieving search results or recommendations or categories or what have you. I see. So yeah, AI ML models. Would I guess now I can circle back to one of my previous questions. I want to ask you, what do you think the feasibility of this would be of taking those sort of AI ML models and applying them to any other experience, you know, any other shopping experience, maybe outside of fashion and clothing? Yeah, well, we're focused at the S on women's fashion. I do think that there are opportunities outside of fashion in this in the retail space to personalize. But I, you know, I think that we're, we're still pretty early days right now for us. We want to really be focused on women's fashion. But I think about the future for a company like the S or really the industry as a whole. I think that there are opportunities to understand customers better and offer people things that are more relevant to their needs and what they're actually able to purchase at the end of the day, right? We don't want to offer things, for example, in the S that aren't in people's price point or aren't in their size. That's not helpful to offer. I do think, you know, there are customers that want to be informed. And I do think about that trade-off between you don't want to over-personalize just because it matches exactly what that customer wants or thinks they want, right? We want to be able to offer people the latest trends and you know how their style might fit into that or what was new and interesting. And so I do think that there's always that balance. But I do think that where we are right now in the industry is very much early days. We're not at that point where we're even considering most people's preferences when they want to shop. Okay, very cool. So how much growth have you guys seen since the initial launch? Yeah, we've seen tremendous growth. Definitely as the reopening has happened, that's also spurred a lot of you know, interest in, in retail shopping. Again, people wanting new clothes to wear. I think there's kind of a thirst for renewal and people getting back to the things that they loved, right? Dressing up, going out. So that's helped us a bit. But I also think we've taken some pretty big steps in terms of making the site ready for growth and or the product, I should say. So the site itself, was really about that growth story and so how we can make the site available to more people. You know, our iOS app is available. It works really well, but there's lots of people who don't shop on their phones, for example, who want to use desktop or people who don't have iOS devices. So it made sense for us to offer that. And that's really kind of the focus for us for the last, I'd say, eight, nine months has been getting the product into the hands of more customers. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, in, in getting the product into the hands of more customers, I'm sure you as a technical person have to deal with some of the back-end issues of managing the scale or the growth of the scale. What's that like? Can you tell me how scale and considerations of scale play into your role? Sure. So this is kind of where we're talking about life in the cloud, right? So one of the great things about starting a company in, in 2018 
three years ago is that we are able to use pretty modern technology tools that scale really well. Even when at Pinterest or, or even at Google sometimes, you know, decisions get made on products that are very old. And so it's really hard to sort of do those migrations unless you're constantly making those improvements along the way. It tends to kind of get traded off against features and so on. So things fall behind. But anyway, at the Yes, we're using some pretty modern tech stack that scales really well. So just to throw some terminology around, we've got most all of our services are containerized. We're running in Kubernetes. We've got auto scaling. So those things work really well. It's not been too much of a challenge for us to scale. Now we have had virality still gets you in that. So you never know when you know someone's going to tweet about your app and then all of a sudden you're going to get an influx and you want to make sure that your auto scaling is configured, right? You might hit your limits faster than you anticipated. And of course, now we're going into the holiday season with web and having worked in commerce for as long as I have, I know that things dramatically scale around this time of year and going into next month. So, or November, I should say. So anyway, it's certainly something that we're gearing up toward and we expect our system to hold over pretty well, but we're keeping an eye on it for sure. In regards to that, the scale and even more specifically, the influxes that happen, I guess like the volatility of traffic, especially, you know, the spikes around Christmas time and so on. From a technical standpoint, how do you prepare for that? Yeah, so... Different companies will do different things, right? I, I know like Amazon, for example, they famously, they lock up their production. I think right around this time of year, they really don't want too much changing between now and, and the end of the year. We're pretty young and we've got a lot of things we want to do. And so I don't know if we're going to be that rigid, right? We still want the site to hold. And so we're going to be more careful. In terms of preparation, you know, you want to be able to run through core flows. You want to make sure that any kind of promotions that you're going to offer holiday time, Things are working correctly, testing them by hand usually, just because there's only so many things that you can really automatically test, especially in a visual, in a web experience. It's just, it takes time to write the test. And when the product is changing so quickly, you don't want to be relying totally on automation. So there's some things that, you know, for the season that we will be doing manually, but I think also there's a lot of stuff that we've already put in place to ensure the reliability of the site. You know, we have some automation around checkout processes and making sure that customers are successful in orders and so on. So it's, it's something that I think will kind of in part take care of itself too. Okay. Interesting. What, uh, Greg, I want to shift gears just slightly and ask, since that first launch, which is about a year and a half ago now, how has the product and the company changed over time? Yeah. So I think we're still true to our mission. That certainly isn't going to change. We want to reduce overwhelm. We want to help people feel empowered in their shopping choices. We want to have personalized experiences. Those are not going to change. Those are constant to the product. And really, even as we explore new features, we're always tying it back to how that might impact that mission, right? Are we being true to the mission by building this feature? But I think what we've learned a lot in the last year and a half is around growing the business and starting a retail outfit from nothing, right? You have to get the brands, you have to get the, the commerce going, you have to get people aware that the product exists, right? All of those things that help people find you. And then once they found you, also understand what you're offering that's unique. Because I think personalization is so new in retail space, it's something that I don't think everybody understands yet. And we're really trying to make it clear what we're about and to show people what a personalized experience is. 
we do hear a lot, actually, interestingly, from people who have tried our product and go back. They kind of have this moment where they're like, wait a minute, why am I seeing all this stuff again? The clutter is more obvious in that case, right? That there's things that they're just not going to buy. Anyway, I think it's clear that people who use the product get it, but we're trying to get more people to want to try the product. And so that's where we spend a lot of energy since the launch is making sure that people are actually able to try the experience. Okay. And so in doing that, what sort of projects have you and your team engaged in to try and get the product into hands of more people and so on? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier about website and certainly that helps, right? You're getting people in different platforms in different contexts, right? If someone's shopping for products, say on Google, they might come to the yes and continue the search from our site instead. But we've also done things that kind of engender a little bit of the social element too. We added social features later last year where people were able to take the items that they're hitting yes. And I forgot to mention when you yes a product, it also goes on a place called your yes list. And people can create different lists that you know may, might be for different occasions or seasons or what have you. And so those can be shared with people who are also using the app and people can go in and leave reactions. And so we're also trying to make some of the experience social. And so, you know, bringing back the sort of the communal shopping experience that I think a lot of us remember pre-pandemic going to the store with friends and hanging out and looking at different items on the shelf and talking about them. People try on outfits, right? Get feedback from their friends. So we're not just doing it just for the sake of sort of globbing people into the product, but also because it makes sense for making the shopping experience fun and easy. I see. Very cool. What sort of projects are you guys planning on doing in the future? Well, we're certainly focused on women's wear now, but I do think going into next year, we're going to be thinking about carrying other categories. We've taken a, a brand position that allows us to expand into that area for sure. We're definitely going to be continuing to listen to customers and figuring out what parts of the experience need to be improved. I think any company is going to want to do that. But yeah, I do think that there's an opportunity to really improve our understanding of different types of products, make the recommendations better. And really focus on, again, communicating our voice and our story and our mission to customers to really make sure that people come to the S knowing what it is that we're about. I see. Actually, I know we kind of gathered a little bit earlier, but tell me more about what exactly is the mission of the Yes, and you know what is the Yes about? Obviously, I got making a much more interesting and improved shopping experience, but what are the details behind that? Yeah, so at the core of it, it's really about empowerment and ease and fun. Things that I think the retail experience has kind of sucked out, especially online. I was talking to a colleague earlier this week where we were saying, you know, it, it used to be called retail therapy. And I feel like a lot of the time it's retail anxiety where, you know, there's just so much of the online shopping experience. It's kind of annoying or clunky or slow, aggravating, frustrating. And so those are just negative, you know, it's just negative. And I think the experience should be a positive one. And so we want to bring that positivity back to the experience of shopping, right? And things that, you know, people might remember from being in the store and having somebody listen to you and hear what your tastes are and curate outfits for you or being able to go with friends and get their feedback. And so I think it's really about finding what was enjoyable or is enjoyable about the you know, brick and mortar shopping experience and making that available and even and even better through the technology, right? The you know, applying advanced algorithms and being able to look at, by the way, the whole assortment of the brands that we carry this is another part of the technology we can talk about, but you really have a hundred thousand products or more, and eventually we'll have hundreds of thousands where people can 
get the very best items for them based on their taste. So I do think that it's just an even better version of those personal curated positive things that people remember from the retail. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I guess that's like a mindset that you guys have when developing your product. Your ultimate goal is to take the enjoyable aspects of shopping and do those very well and try and minimize all the anxiety inducing aspects of shopping. Cool. Cool. Right. Greg, right. I, I want to ask more about your role of head of shopping experience. What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? What sort of things keep you busy at work? Yeah. So for me, I spend about half of my time working really closely with the engineering team, looking at even at code that's going out, just sort of making sure the quality bar is met, thinking about our engineering practices. Are we you know, releasing with the right level of quality? Are we doing enough engineering technical investments? What's our level of technical debt that we might be accruing based on the decisions we make? That's pretty typical engineering work. And I meet with engineers regularly and hear, you know, their thoughts and work on their careers and their skill sets. And then the other half of the time that I spend is working more with the business side of the house, product side, hearing about what things are in the queue, where there might be opportunities, what people are wondering about, if there's data that we might need to make a decision, trying to represent the engineering needs and points of view in the conversations that are happening about prioritization evolving the product and so on, right? What the business might want to explore and just making sure that engineering knows what those things are being thought about and is able to anticipate them or being able to communicate things that engineering might need or might be concerned about to the business. So I'm kind of liaising between the two in that other section of my time. And then of course, there's we're talking about you know, interviewing and doing podcasts like this one, right? So just kind of making sure that people know about us and that we are working on our engineering brand and getting the message out there. Very cool. Greg, from what you just mentioned, it sounds like you're a, an engineering manager or like a PM even. Would that be accurate? Yeah. So, you know, my title at Pinterest before I left to join the S was engineering manager and I have a product counterpart. So definitely... I would consider myself an engineering leader here at the S, more focused on making sure that the engineering team is successful. But I personally have a lot of interest in brand building, thinking about customer journey. And I just think that makes the engineering better. You know, so much gets lost in translation between, you know, what was sort of envisioned and then what gets built often in engineering teams, technology companies. And so I feel like I can do a better job myself just knowing what the vision is and knowing about where we want to go as a company. And I make it a point to then make sure that my engineers understand that too. And so, you know, maybe that makes me part PM, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's it's an area that I'm really interested in and probably why within the S I wound up at the shopping experience section of the house, because, you know, there's other things that are technical, but for me, this is really about understanding customers and getting to wear that product hat from now now and again. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Very cool. Greg, now I want to ask, what do you think is in the future for the industry? And you already mentioned this a little bit, like the future of the company would be trying to find ways to expand maybe beyond uh, women's fashion and so on. But how do you think the rest of the fashion industry is going to change over the next few years? Do you think every company is going to start adopting AI ML models in their customer experiences? Well, to answer that point specifically, I do think that that we'll see an increase in that area for sure. It's going to move all of the numbers that businesses tend to like, right? It's going to improve conversion and, you know, repeat and all that stuff. So I do think even brands that are really not leveraging a lot of that technology are going to consider doing that. But I think the other side of things for retail and fashion in particular 
and in, interplaying technology into that too. And I kind of alluded to this a little bit with over-personalization, but I've been watching the news about the Facebook whistleblower and, and it's not really just about that, but what we see happening a lot of the time in these really highly engaged tech audiences is sometimes the technology is not making our lives better. It's not necessarily making us happier. And I can't imagine wanting to work on a product like that. And I think that what we will see within technology is more of a awareness of what is the impact on people's mental well-being on communities. And I think fashion might have a role to play there, certainly retail and commerce, because at the end of the day, it is kind of an economic thing that I'm talking about. So you know, we'll see, for example, what is the impact of retail shopping on the environment? What is it on how people feel about their self-esteem? Those kind of things, I think, will continue to become more important as we become a little bit more aware of what those things are doing to us. And so I think the yes has a great opportunity to provide that positivity that might not be in every retail environment today. Certainly, you know, we see already trends about sustainability, which I think totally makes sense given people's awareness or wanting to help about climate change. So I think that there are, there are many opportunities for new companies to offer a fresh voice to kind of reset people's expectations on what's possible for fashion companies and retail and enterprises to do. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, that's quite well said, what you had there. A nice, the broader implications, especially about tech, the personalization aspect or the personalization potential of technology. Actually, because you mentioned the Facebook case, I want to ask you about the, I guess, the ethical dilemma. Like, where do you draw the line between over-personalization and that kind of thing? Like, when do we know that the technology is no longer helping people? Yeah, well, it's a difficult question. For sure. I would say, you know, fortunately, I'm not too concerned about the social implications of over-personalizing your wardrobe, but I do think that there are, you know, there are ramifications still every company needs to be responsible about. But I think over-personalization is really an issue when it comes to people's understanding about what's true or trying to sort of make an analogy to how the yes might over-personalize. Like maybe you miss out on a trend or you you know, you know won't get good feedback on whether this is really the best product for you because we've you know, got you down. We haven't exposed you to enough products or what have you, right? To give you a good sense of what your tastes really are. There's definitely some risks there, but I think some of it is also just more about self-esteem and when things are too personalized, potentially maybe you have the wrong sense of, it might put people in a difficult position emotionally, right? When they're sort of living in a bubble and then they maybe encounter people that are in a different bubble and so on. I'm not too worried about that again, like I said, from the point of retail fashion, but I do think the industry is very much an emotional one. And so we have to be careful about the kind of emotions and brands and connections that people are making that we're basically building with our product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I guess this is my opinion, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, but I think maybe as long as the people creating the technology are at least moderately mindful of what are all the implications of the product, that would probably be a good start. Now, there's still some human discretion, and they might get it wrong, but that's kind of inevitable. Some human somewhere will be making judgment calls. But yeah, I, I guess that's... Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah, and it's process-related too, mm -hmm. right? So it's, you know, incentives. You know, what was discussed in the, the whistleblower testimony was really all about incentives, right? Moving the metrics in order to achieve the end. And I think that's why it's really important as well to have, you know, in addition to metric-based goals, which we all as businesses have, to also have a core foundation of 
you know, what is the good that you want to do for people? And I think that knowing that and having that really repeated within companies and also being a goal in and of itself is helpful and in, in making sure that the people who have to make those decisions on the ground are doing so, you know, knowing that, well, maybe this won't move the metric, but it, it is true to our identity as a company and it's true to how we're trying to help our customers. And so, I, you know, sometimes I think people can get lost in the numbers and that's when those kind of things tend to, those errors tend to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Awesome. I actually think that's a great note to conclude on, but I want to ask if there's any other topics you want to discuss or any questions you wish I asked that I did not ask or anything else. No, I really appreciate it. I, I would just plug our business here. You, know, you can check us out on, on the us.com or download our app on the app store. We're looking for great people. So the us.com slash careers, you can find roles that we're looking for there too. What, uh, what sort of roles are you guys currently looking for, Greg? Well, everything, but we're a technology company. So people who are interested in technology generally, of course, software engineers, product thinkers, even on the, the design side, I'm sure. So there's definitely roles for people. You know, we really care about people who are passionate about what they do. If they're interested in the fashion retail space, all the better, but we're looking for smart people who are highly motivated and want to make a difference. Very cool. That is a great way to end. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Greg. This has been great. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. We hope you found some value in this episode of Life in the Cloud. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast. And share this episode on social media with your network. You can continue the conversation with us on LinkedIn by tagging Chris Reddy, at Chris-Reddy. That's at K-R-I-S-R-E-D-D-Y. In a comment or by sending a direct message. We look forward to hearing from you.